0: Hey everyone, this is Dalen, the writer, director, and producer of A Point in Time. I just wanted to do a quick shout out and thanks to everyone who helped me in creating this story. Big thanks to my wife Shelby, who kept encouraging me and pushing me as I got along and got through the process of making this podcast. A big thanks to my friends and family who helped critique and make sure the story was at where I wanted it to be. And big thanks to my cast, of course, who brought all these characters to life and were able to make this story a success. A big thanks to a man by the name of Tobin Shearer. He's the director of the African-American Studies Program at the University of Montana. I actually started this story as a project for his class during my senior year at UM, and he had such a profound effect on me in terms of how I want to tell stories, especially regarding our past, that I knew I wanted to continue this and make it something special. And I feel like we were able to do that. So big thanks to Tobin Shearer. But please, I hope you enjoy um, if you would be so kind, leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts to help us grow and expand and get it so that more people can hear this podcast. But without further ado, thanks again, and I hope you all enjoy.
1: Sweet mother mercy.
2: Regina, go get Zola and Keegan.
1: I'm sorry. No, no
2: time for that now, Marcus. I wasn't the first one to find that mess. That boy's daddy was important to this town, you understand? I know we work hard, but you have to understand what we mean to people like that. The only reason Mr. Grady has us on this land is to run his cotton. But right now, we got a target on our backs. What are you gonna do? Right now, I need you to pack your things. Only what you need. George, come out here.
3: Daddy, why are all those people coming here?
4: A Point in Time, Episode 1, Peonage.
3: I'm here at the Travis County Retirement Home. Not as a resident, thank goodness. No, just visiting. I never understood how families could stick their loved ones in a place like this. There are some I understand, dementia and all, but some, I don't know. Like last week when I was here, I met a woman. Miss Blair, I think it was. She was in great mental health, sharp as a tack. She just had trouble walking, so her family dumped her here. Or, like Roger, his eyesight got so bad he couldn't even drive anymore, so here he is. Or Nelson Grady. Seems like a smart ass old man, but I'll get more into his case. The walls of the home are a tinted white with faded yellow trim. Handrails line the walls to help residents walk through the building, and small flat TV screens filled most corners of the place. All playing the Daily News or some midday basic cable TV show. The pale laminate floor is the only remnants of what it used to be back in the 1950s. Kind of like my grandma's kitchen, honestly. The front room splits left and right. To the right is a room full of old men and women playing chess, watching M.A.S.H. To the left is a hallway leading to the bedrooms, tall yellow doors facing each other on either side of the hallway. Directly forward is a wide desk with the receptionist. She's a red-headed woman with a ragged hoodie zipped over green scrubs. She had reading glasses strung around her neck and a pen clipped on the collar of her shirt. Hi, I'm here to speak with Nelson Grady. Is he available?
5: Sign here.
3: Okay. Like I said, I don't know why anybody would put their family here. Oh, excuse me.
5: What can I do for you, hon?
3: Hi, I'm with the Austin Chronicle.
5: Nicholas, right? You're the one who's talking with Nelson, aren't you?
3: Nick, please. But that I am. How'd you hear?
5: Oh, Nelson was just talking about your little meeting you had the other day.
3: Good things, I hope?
5: I'll let you decide that for yourself. Hmm. I was just bringing him his meds if you'd like to join.
3: Well, that depends. What uh, side effects do they have?
5: (laughs) Hmm. Funny and cute. All right. Follow me, Mr. Freelance. (coughs) All right. Stay out here for a second.
3: No worries. His room is small. He had a twin bed on a cheap metal frame, white sheets and a blue blanket and a pillow. There's a small table on the other side with a deck of cards and a brass casing from a pistol.
5: Hi, Nelson. Got your meds here for you.
3: Nelson was sitting in his wheelchair watching TV, a rerun of some old baseball game
6: they the good ones today, or am I going to be midnight dreaming by noon?
5: Now, I don't want to go and spoil the surprise for you.
6: Oh, Shanda. Always keeping my life stuck in excitement.
5: Only the best for you, love. Now, hurry up and take them. You know I got to see. Uh... Mm. I've got Nick out here if you're up for another chat. Nicholas, come on in. I'll leave you two be. Holler if you need anything.
3: Hi there, Mr. Grady. How are you today? Is she gone? What do you mean?
6: Well, look out the window. Is she gone?
3: Oh. Um, she's down the hall.
6: Well, Nicholas. Please, Nick. Nicholas, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: A little early to be drinking, isn't it?
6: Well, you know what they say, if you ain't drinking, then you ain't thinking. And if you ain't thinking, then you ain't drinking enough. Do they say that? Probably not, but I'll drink to it anyways.
3: Have you always been much of a drinker, Mr. Grady?
6: Well, you're a victim to your environment, right? I suppose so. Plus, it takes the edge off those pills they give me for my arthritis. And I didn't hear that. Shall we? Tell my life story or just play pocket pool? You
3: know, I may have a drink after all.
6: (laughs) (coughs) It's too early to drink. Come sit down and grab that chair.
3: If it's okay, uh, I'll record this, right?
6: Well, you're not going to memorize all this, are you?
3: Fair enough. (laughs) Timestamp, April 12, 2015, 10 a.m. at the Travis County Retirement Center. I'm Nicholas Redding, sitting down with Nelson Grady. We didn't make it far last time. It was 1939. You were 12 years old. You were living on your family's farm outside Clarksdale, Mississippi.
6: That was the summer that the Tompkins family moved on the farm. known around those parts as the Grady Cotton Farm. Clarksdale, Mississippi was a cotton town. Plain and simple. My father, Rich Grady, sold pretty loyalty to Anderson, Clayton, and Company Cotton. The store had large glass windows with strong wood frames. Along one side of the front room were piles of cotton. In the center of the room was a large countertop with counterweight scale on top. On the other side of the room, there was a long counter Mr. Anderson stood behind. There he was, talking with a young black customer with ripped overalls, scuffed leather boots, and a straw hat with wide brim that was tucked under his arm.
7: Now I won't give you any higher than that.
6: Cooper Anderson was a tall man, probably about six, five. He had a thick mustache, three-piece suit, and a calmness that you could feel in your bones. I remember seeing his eyes. They were calm as the day was long. Deep blue eyes that didn't quiver. His hand and rooster knife accustomed to his hip.
2: Mr. Anderson, $1.25 is far below the right price. Just last week, Mr. Harrison got two 25. I've got kids to feed and a meal to pay off. There's no way I can balance that on a price
8: like this.
6: I couldn't tell you what the going price for cotton really was at the time, but I know poor black pickers were making about $2 per 100 pounds, obviously sometimes much less.
7: Well, I just don't see how that is my problem. Business is business, and this is my business, and I don't see you having any say in how I run it. You've got no right. My crop is just as good as anybody else's. It isn't your job to determine that now, is it? As far as I'm concerned, the value of your crop is as I see it, and I see it as $1.25.
2: Look at it. It's quality product. You can't sit there and tell me you know cotton and not recognize it.
7: Now you listen here. You're new in town, so I'll give you that. But you got no sense coming in here and handling yourself like this in a white man's shop, boy. That is, unless you'd like me to have a word with some of my business associates. And I don't think they'd appreciate the way you're speaking to such a large provider of this side of town.
6: Cooper leaned forward with the palms of his hands on the counter. His eyes never moved. What'll it be? They both just stood there for a second, silent. The black man looked down at his bag on the counter and snagged it quick before storming to the front door. Mr. Anderson just continued looking forward. Back door. The man froze with his hand on the handle before he turned around and walked to the back door.
9: Rich, you
7: bastard, how you doing?
9: Well, I've got some product for you.
7: Do you now? Let's take a look. You always do me good, Rich. You know the price.
9: Thanks, Cooper. Much appreciated.
7: Zay, you got that new family moving on to your land, don't you?
9: Yeah, the Tompkins. A husband, wife, a twin girl, and a boy. Come over from Alabama after the previous tenants ditched for the North.
7: Up to Chicago, I'm sure.
9: The Great
6: Migration, or that's what's known as now think. Basically you had herds of black farmers from the south moving north to find work in the factories. Funny what industrialization will drive a person to do. But hey, more power to them, give them a chance. Sure, it was still heavily segregated, but they had a chance. Factory work hadn't picked up in the south, and it wasn't like labor practices were coming any more fair or legal for that matter it all went to shit once the depression hit sharecroppers were stuck in the delta with their debts you can thank people like my father and cooper anderson for holding it over their heads i can't remember what they called it and age i think it is P and H. It was slavery without being called slavery. You'd be surprised what leverage can do for a man or do to a man.
7: Yeah, I heard the same thing happen to Dale on the far side of town. I guess he bought one of those picking machines to make up for it.
9: Spending money he don't have.
7: Spending money he doesn't have yet. It's the new age, Rich. Maybe you ought to catch up.
9: I'll catch up when the economy stabilizes.
7: Hey, with the war starting, we'll be in demand, demand, demand.
9: Just wait until your number comes up.
7: <laughs> Flat feet, my friend. I'm going nowhere.
9: Maybe your creaky floorboards have something to do with that.
7: Ah, <laughs> very funny.
9: Hey, I'm just saying. With the kid and I, best be heading. I'll bring you by the load next week, Cooper.
10: Dad, can I ask you something? What is it? Why did Mr. Anderson give that black man less money than you? For his cotton? His cotton looked fine.
9: It isn't about the cotton. It's about the principle. See, Negroes like that man need to know their place in the world. Need to know who controls how things work around here. You
10: work just as hard.
9: You Be careful what you're saying, Nelson. The Negro ain't like you and me. You'll be damned if you compare black to me. I'm sorry. They got a debt they owe and they got to work it off.
10: What about the Tompkins?
9: Mr. Tompkins has a debt being transferred with him that he will owe me.
10: But he hasn't worked our land before.
9: A Man owes what a man owes. Mr. Tompkins knows his place to pay off his debt. If he can't pay it this year, he'll stay another and another after that.
6: Back then, no white farm owner had to say anything to the law. Cheating happened every which way, and black sharecroppers had nothing to do about it. What were they going to do? Sue? No room in court, but for a white man's verdict. My father was as guilty as the rest of them. Over the following months, the Tompkins racked up more and more debt because of plantation fees, and fake equipment repairs that my father would tack on. Soak is what he did. Every landlord did it to their sharecroppers. It held the leverage over their head. Basically, held them in their place beyond their own will. It was basically a capitalized form of slavery. Nothing they could really do about it.
10: Dad, are you sure you should be drinking?
9: Mind your business, Nelson.
10: Where are we going anyways?
9: Going to pay a visit to the Tompkins.
6: Why do I have to go?
9: Because you gotta learn, Nelson, you gotta learn.
6: He looked at me, looked back at the windshield, took a swig and just kept driving down the rutted out road. We pulled up to the shack and everyone was outside their shack couldn't have been much bigger than a garden shed. The three kids shared a bed, and Mr. and Mrs. Tompkins slept on the floor. Most of the windows were broken, covered loosely with pieces of cloth. The roof was layered with rotting moss-covered shingles, and the walls were made of what looked like scrap wood whole place was heated with one small wood stove that Mrs. Tompkins used to cook and boil water for bathing and doing laundry. Regina?
1: Mr. Grady?
6: Regina Tompkins was on the front porch running some clothes over a washboard and humming some blues. She was a pretty woman. She had a real natural beauty to her. Her hair was short curls, though she had it up most of the time, she had a sturdy body, built to be a strong woman, a powerful woman, and she lived up to it later in life. Their younger twins, Zola and Keegan, were running around the front yard playing tag.
9: Come to see your husband's progress on tilling.
6: They've
1: been working hard. I can tell you that much.
9: We'll just see about that. Mind calling them up for me?
1: George, Mr. Grady is here to talk with you.
6: They were both covered in dirt and sweat as they worked under the sun. Humidity was so bad, it felt like you constantly had a layer of sweat and moisture over your whole body. You had to be careful because in conditions like that, people were known to collapse and die in the middle of the field.
2: Why don't you take the mule to the stable, Marcus? Mr. Grady, sir? Hi, Mr. Tompkins. Nelson. Mr. Grady what?
9: I'll be honest with you. I'm not liking what I'm seeing, George.
2: Well, Mr. Grady, sir, I think me and my boy are doing a fine job out there on the field.
9: George, how far are you gotten with the tilling on the west side?
2: Sir, my boy and I are working real hard with our mule. I figure by next Friday we can have most of it done.
9: George, you know I need it done by Wednesday.
2: I know, Mr. Grady, I know. And we will do our best. I can have the twins help. Isn't that right, twins? They can keep up just as good as their brother.
9: You know damn well that isn't enough, George. I told you.
2: I'm sorry, Mr. Grady. We'll go as fast.
9: You'll have to rent my tractor.
2: I can't afford that, sir. I'm lucky to even have the mule.
9: George, I don't want to hear it. It'll be tacked on to your death.
1: Mr. Grady, now I hardly think that is necessary.
2: Regina, don't.
1: Oh, George, he can't do that to us. We're barely making it as it is.
9: Listen to what he says, Regina. This is my land. Your husband there signed the contract. This is how I run it.
2: Dad, can you just help him out?
9: What do you think I'm doing by letting them live on my land? I expect my crops, and I expect them on time.
2: And we'll get you those crops. We just need until Friday.
9: Nelson, get in the truck. George, come with me and get the tractor.
1: Now, just wait just a minute. Mr. Grady, we were just about to set up for supper. Can't he just come get in in the morning?
9: Hell, Regina. Won't you just shut up?
2: Regina, I'll be back. It's okay. Tell Marcus to plant those seeds, will you? Y'all go on with dinner without me.
9: Come on, let's go. In the back, George.
6: I could see Regina's anger in her stare as we got in the truck. She was gripping the shirt she was washing so hard that all the water was squeezed out of it. George's face was numb when my father told him to get in the back, though. What do you expect? It was nothing new, nothing he hadn't dealt with before. I was starting to see it, though. I never really understood or paid much attention, for that matter. I would look out the window at the mockingbirds pecking at the rotten oak. It was around this time I started to realize how things were. I could see it in the Tompkins face now, both sides of it, and my father continued to drink. My parents went through a lot in the beginning of their marriage. They originally lived closer to Birmingham, Alabama. My mother didn't do much, stuck at home mostly. My father worked in a leather shop, pressing sheets for knives and leather aprons for butchers. They ended up moving to Clarksdale after my grandfather got sick. My mother was reluctant but my father had a brand of loyalty to his family. The plantation was a slave plantation way back in the day when my family founded it. Can't say it's something I like to mention a lot. The Depression hit and they struggled, but the place was fairly self-sufficient with some livestock and plenty of vegetables once my grandfather passed away my father spiraled it only got worse when my mother had a miscarriage with their first child he spent his nights drinking he spent his days drinking even more my mother was complacent she didn't have anywhere else to go it wasn't long after that i was born But with a new face in the family, old habits didn't quite seem to die like my mother had hoped. But with all my father's ignorance, racist and otherwise, it made an impression. Mine just happened to be different than the other kids in the area. Frankie and Hank were some of my friends growing up in Clarksdale. Hank's father owned a farm not far from ours. Frankie's dad ran the taproom, one of the town's longest-lasting white-only bars. Hank was a feisty little shit, loved causing trouble, probably because he had no consequences. Frankie was a couple of years older than us. Kids his age treated him pretty awful, Mostly cause he was a little slower than the rest of us. Hank wasn't any better, but Frankie had kind of idolized him for the way he treated black folk. Hank just seemed to have racism in his bones. Frankie seemed to get it from his insecurities someone to put himself over the insecurity of the white man yes there must be some truth to it you know i remember this specific day we were walking along the dirt road that went by our largest pasture we were kicking rocks, shooting birds with our bb gun stuff most kids did around when they were nothing better to do
11: You know, my dad just bought one of those picking machines. A picking machine? That's not real. You best believe it, Frankie. It's on its way now. Says it will pick faster and cheaper than any Negro man, woman, or child. Soon, we're gonna be rich. What about the family on your land? They moved up to Detroit to work in a factory or something. I don't know. All I know is my dad is about to make a whole lot more money. I got a DiMaggio card that says those blacks will come running back for their jobs. Why wouldn't your dad let them back on their farm? Dad says they lost their place in our town. Says if they come back... We'll run them out. You ain't running anybody out of anywhere with aim like that, Frankie. No way you could shoot anybody, Frankie. Who says? It doesn't take any guts to shoot a black man. Once my dad shot one who wouldn't leave the porch in front of his bar, kept on refusing, so my dad pulled out his pistol and shot him in the thigh. You're lying. No, I swear! Left a hole in his leg and everything. He bled all over. Like that bird you just missed? Whatever, Hank. Crybaby. Why won't your dad just let him sit there? He wasn't inside the bar, so why did it matter? Made my daddy look bad. No one wants a negro sitting in front of their bar. Not good for business. It drives away all the good customers. Hey, Nelson, are those your new croppers out there? Yeah, that's Mr. Tompkins and his son. Bet you can't hit his mule, Frankie. Yeah, right. Watch this. Guys, come on. That's stupid. Take the shot, Frankie. It's not that far. Shut up. Let me concentrate. (laughs) Ha! What'd I tell you? Knew you were gonna miss. Shut up. Not like you could do any better. Step aside. Watch this. just like old Buffalo Bill. Beginner's luck. I don't even care. Hey, Nelson, I dare you to hit Mr. Tompkins. I'm not gonna shoot a person, Hank. What are you, chicken? Doesn't mean nothing anyways. They can't even see us. Yeah, my dad shot a man once. Nobody believes that story, Frankie. Yeah, well, it happened. I don't know, guys. It's just a Negro. It's not like you're shooting a white man in the street.
7: Alright. Fine.
6: Clumsy much?
12: Shut up, Hank!
6: I can't justify what I said next. I can't make it okay. But the pressure got to me. It plays in my head, you know. I can feel myself pull the trigger and watch as the little lead ball flies through the air and hits Mr. Tompkins' son in the eye right as he looked up. Mr. Tompkins looked at me and our eyes locked with a stare that only a man with a broken soul can give. It felt like eternity until Hank pulled my arm and we took off running. It was a couple of days later and I was walking down the same road. I could see the marks on the embankment that I made when I slipped on the rocks. I covered them up because I was afraid of getting in trouble with my father. I kept walking down the road until I came across the church that the Tompkins attended. They were part of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Black church in the South was a powerful thing. It was a place of worship, gathering, organizing, and politicizing. Everywhere you went, the black church just had about the largest role in black social political culture. My father was a fair-weather Christian. Always pulled that card from the deck when it fit in his hand usually when he did anything wrong. The Tompkins, on the other hand, were as dedicated as their faith as they were to the color of their skin. The church was white on the outside with paint chipping on the sides. It was a small building with one small entrance with a small staircase, a stained glass window on each side, and an apple tree in the front.
2: We sit here today as a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a family, for he is among us, not in our homes, not in our pews, and not in our skin. As we find in Romans 7, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This law of hate and sin that determines our captivity within our skin for which we bear no shame. Though sin may watch us as we work our land, we find sanctuary through the law of God within our minds.
6: I stood in the stained glass window peeping through the white gowns of Jesus. I've never seen anything like it. Mr. Tompkins stood at the podium, tall, power in his voice that I never expected. He wore a dark wool jacket with a black shirt. Regina sat in the front pew with a bright red dress and a floral hat. Their twin sat to her left, and her son to her right. He had a button-up shirt with a gray tie. He had a bandage on. Died. The pews were packed full and everybody was hooting and hollering as Mr. Tompkins spoke.
2: And so I say, I stand here with you brothers and sisters as a family in the light of God and shadow of sin. Members of our humanity wage war and their law against our minds. In this battle our flesh may quiver in the darkness of our sin, our bodies may tremble in the frustration that followed. But stay strong in our minds. And the law of God will guide us down a path of righteousness to which our flesh and blood will follow. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord.
6: Mr. Tompkins spoke with a power that I didn't know he had. He stood with his back straight, his chest out, his chin up. His eyes full. His words consumed the church and the people in it. He found his solace there. I reckon they all did.
2: Now, as you all know, my son, Marcus, was targeted. He was in the eye of the devil, the eyes of some boys whose flesh was corrupted, whose minds were guided in the wrong direction. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm confused, as is my son. But do not find it a reason to waver. Do not find it a reason to let sin invade your mind. Do not find it a reason to lose your faith. Marcus is alive as God protected him, the same way he will protect all of us, brothers and sisters. So we stay strong in our minds. We stay strong in our hearts. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, to defy my flesh from serving
6: the law of sin.
2: Sure smells good, baby.
1: Oh, please. It ain't nothing special.
2: Hey, did you hear what Leo was yapping about today after services?
1: You were listening to Leo again? You know he ain't got no sense in his head.
2: Well, hear me out. It made a lot of sense.
1: I'm listening.
2: Bronzeville.
1: Bronzeville?
2: Yeah, Bronzeville. It's in the south side of Chicago, I think. It's booming. That's what Leo said, at least. Said his cousin lives up there. Said so there's a whole community of black folk that is thriving. Marcus could even go to college.
1: College? Wouldn't that be something? How would we even get up there, George?
2: Well, if Marcus and I can pick up the pace, maybe if we all pulled together, we could sell off some stuff and buy ourselves a truck. We have enough in savings, and there's going to be a good yield this season.
1: You really think we could manage?
2: I think so. Just think. School for the kids. Community organizing. Work. I know I've heard you talking about that NAACP group.
1: Well, of course I have. They are doing something.
2: You could too, Regina. You could too.
1: When the time comes, I'll be ready.
2: I know you will.
1: Kids, time to wash up for dinner? Marcus, will you finish setting the table, hon?
10: No problem, ma.
2: How's your eye feeling, Marcus?
10: It's okay. Doesn't hurt as much. Still dark? Yeah, mostly. I can see shadows, but nothing else, really. Damn those boys.
1: We know who's done it. George,
2: you said you saw it. What do you want me to do, Regina? You want me to go to Mr. Grady? Tell him that his son shot our boy in the eye? No, but we can't go to the
1: authorities. They can do something.
2: What? And lose our spot on the farm? The law would look the other way and Mr. Grady would sink his teeth into us until we bled out. That's how it works. No, we will work and save so that one day we can leave. And I'll keep working, I can still help. That's right, Marcus is a strong kid.
1: Kids, time for dinner. Marcus, will you go get them please? Kids! No, Jeffrey!
10: Jeffrey, you named the chicken? He's our pet. Yeah. Is he wearing a hat? Yeah, he likes when we dress him up.
2: I can hardly believe that.
10: Yeah, it's his favorite.
1: Kids, you know you can't bring chickens in the house. But,
7: Mama, he's our
10: pet.
2: I got him, I got him. Don't hurt him. Kids, listen to your mother and sit down for dinner. I'll go put him in the coop.
1: (laughs) Ah, Zola, wait for your father to come back and say grace. But, Mama, I'm
10: hungry. Well, if you were so hungry, then maybe you should have eaten your chicken.
1: No! Nobody will be eating Jeffrey. Besides, I don't think I could now that he has a name.
10: Why did you name him Jeffrey?
1: Because he looks like a Jeffrey. George, come sit down. Oh, Mr. Grady.
2: Regina? Mr. Grady just come by
9: to get his tractor. This late? Is that a problem?
1: No. We were just sitting down for supper. Mr. Grady, have you been drinking?
9: Mind your business, Regina.
2: He was just coming in to grab some grease. The Baron's been locking up a little bit.
9: What happened to your boy there?
2: Oh, it was nothing. That right, boy? It was just an accident while we were working.
9: Now Marcus can speak for himself, George. Tell me what happened. It was nothing. You want to reword that? My hearing could be going bad, but I think I heard you say it was my son.
1: No, you just misunderstood.
9: Boy, look at me and tell me what you said.
10: It was an accident. I slipped in a branch poked me in the eye. It
9: was nothing. Branch poked you in the eye? Huh. All right. Here's the grease. Let's get you a dinner now.
1: George, sit down.
2: Marcus, what did I tell you? You shouldn't have said anything. I'm sorry.
1: George, he was scared.
2: We can't afford to get pushed off this farm. We can't afford a raise in rent or any extra fees or any excuses. Mr. Grady may have to make it hard for us to live. Why can't we just go north like everyone else? Is that what you want me to do, Marcus? You want me to leave and work while you struggle here? That's not what he meant, George. We've got to stay, Marcus. We've got to stay. I wish we could just get away from it. It isn't that easy, Marcus. We can't just up and leave. We've got to work. We've got to stick together. This means you've got to leave that boy Nelson and his friends alone. Stay strong, Marcus. Keep your back straight, say your prayers, and hold your faith.
1: Everyone take hands.
2: For this and all we are about to receive, make us truly grateful, Lord. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Good. Now everyone eat. It's getting cold.
2: Marcus, don't forget to clean up those branches down the road tomorrow morning. We're going to need them for burning in a few weeks.
10: All right. Get away from the branches, birds. Man, why do these branches have to be so far away? I know there's some dead branches closer.
11: What are you humming? What, you mad because your eye got hurt? I'm mad because
10: you and your friend shot me an eye.
11: What? You must be making stuff up. What do you want? Me? Nothing. I'm just heading to see Nelson, then I seen you down here working. You know, my daddy just got a picking machine Soon, I bet Mr. Grady will get one, and you and your family won't have nothing.
10: My daddy's working hard. Harder than yours.
11: Is that why you all live in one room shack on a white man's property? You Negroes aren't any better than the rest.
10: Yeah, what do you know?
11: I know you're working for nothing. I know your family has no shot like mine does. I know I'm better than you. I know you're better off with only one eye because you'll see less of how worthless a life you live. I know you're just a dirt- STOP!
6: It was a few days after I was at the church that everything kind of spiraled. I was with my father down at the tap room, the bar owned by Tom Martin, Frankie's father. It was just before evening. We went there plenty often. All the men would sit around loud-mouthed and pass no whiskey till the bottle was empty. Then they'd pull another one from the bottom shelf, I would always sit at the end of the bar with a glass of milk. Just listening.
8: Hit me with another, Tom. I'm cutting you off, Carl, you drunk bastard. Come on. You don't gotta be like that, Tom. Just a little more for the road, what do you say? You got that money for your tab like we were talking about last week? Tom, buddy. You know I'm good for it. (laughs) No, sorry, Carl. Rich! Rich! Oh... You're a good man, Rich. What do you say we catch up over a drink? You're buying. Carl, don't you have a tab you should be paying? That's what I keep telling him. Oh, screw you guys. What'll it be, Rich?
9: Double whiskey on the rocks. Milk for the boy.
8: Hey, Nelson, coming your way.
6: You know, as racist that man was, I couldn't help but like him. You always treated me better than my father ever did.
8: How you doing, Rich? Word has it you've been having some troubles at the house. Oh,
9: shit, yeah. A support beam in the shed gave way. termites.
8: Nah, what I heard. Carl, shut up. Oh, hell, Tom. Not like anything will happen to you. Word has it, Rich. The Nelson over there shot that black boy on your phone. Now, where'd you hear that, Carl? That's enough. Uh, how about another drink? On the house. See, the other day I overheard Tom and his boy talking. Dale? Christ, you okay? They did it. They did it. Dale, he's
9: spilling whiskey everywhere. Sit down. That stool right there. Ah, damn it. For God's sake, what happened, Dale? You want to know what happened? You want to know what fucking happened, Rick? I'll
13: tell you what happened. Hey, get, get off, get off. Dale, tell us what's got you barging in like this. Sit down. Hank is dead. I found his body on your property, Rich.
8: Oh, shit.
13: What are you saying? Ah, damn it, Rich. I found him on your land. Someone murdered my boy on your land. Where'd you find him, Dale? In the ditch. On the long dirt road. Next to the north pasture. Someone covered his back with some shrubs. I, I went to pick it
8: up and... Oh, not on my boots. Ah, what'd you do that for? Shut up, Carl. Who did it, Rich?
13: Who killed my boy?
9: what do you think? I had something to do with it?
13: He was on your land, Rich.
9: Doesn't make me a guilty man.
13: Who killed my boy, goddammit?
9: I don't know. Hank is
13: is dead. Nelson! Damn! Damn. Who did it, Nelson? You know, goddammit. Tell me who killed my boy. Don't. Who did
9: it, Nelson? Tell me! I don't know Dale, get off my boy! Nelson, run home. But don't make me tell you again, or I'll be the one slapping you. Leave.
8: You know, Dale, I bet i would tell you as who's it was. Shut up, Carl. No, no, listen. You know, your boy was down there on the road shooting at those Negroes on Rich's farm. The boy got hit in the eye. Isn't that right, Richie? Shut up, Carl. I need them working. No! What are you saying, Carl? Well, who's to say the boy's daddy didn't want a little revenge, per se? Fuck, Carl. It's true, Dale. You knew about this, Rich? Of Course I knew, Dale. Frankie wouldn't shut up about
9: it. I need them working on my farm. Need them working?
13: Need them working on your farm? I need them dead. He killed my boy. We gonna kill us a Negro. Everyone in here, listen up! Dale! Tom, get your Winchester.
2: Already ahead of you.
13: I don't know how many of you have been listening since I got in here, but my boy is dead. I found him buried under a pile of branches. Now, I don't know about you boys, but I know about some niggers that are behind this. And I plan on burning them to the ground. We gotta protect our kin protect our people i'm going to kill me the nigger that killed my boy as for the rest of them it's time for a message
1: marcus Marcus, come out front. Boy, Marcus.
2: Baby, baby, what are you going on about? I sent him up to the North Pasture. Forgot my hoe up that way.
1: I need some more scrap woods for the kindling. Think you can fetch me some, darling?
2: Well, I reckon I can do that. Gonna cost you, though. Oh, is that so? Afraid so, my love.
1: Well, go fetch me that wood, I ask so kindly. Perhaps we can take a trip to the creek. Later
2: this evening. Say no more. I'm on my way, just let me grab the mule right quick."
6: Dale was about to go on a bend, rampage that town never seen before. He'd already lost his wife, Hank was all he had. It was two days after Hank was murdered that Dale found his body. It wasn't but a couple hours after that that George came upon it. Dale just hadn't gotten at him yet.
2: All right, all right. Let's see what Marcus left us, Martha. What in Sam hell?
6: When George walked up, he had no idea what the scene was. The branches that Marcus was supposed to have stacked were thrown all over the road, many of them broken in half, some 20 yards down the road. There was a pathway through the branches down to the ditch. Right smack dab in the middle of it was a trail of blood. He could see Marcus out in the north pasture, walking with his hoe. What happened here? Well, as George made his way down to the ditch, he saw a kid's bicycle laying on top of some other branches. Just a few feet from the bike was a puddle of blood. Christ almighty, that's Nelson's friend's bike. George looked up at Marcus, who stood still in the north field, looking back. Marcus dropped the hoe and started running back to their shack.
1: George, what has gotten into you? Marcus, where you at? Marcus! George, why are you yelling? Marcus isn't back yet. Seriously now, what has gotten into you?
2: Marcus! God damn it! Where's Ola and Keegan? George! Regina, where are the kids? You, come here! George, calm down. Boy, what did you do? I didn't do anything. I saw what was down there. You tell the truth. For the love of God, tell the truth. George, what's going on? God damn it, Regina, get the twins.
1: George, you best to tell me what the hell is going on. I didn't mean to do it.
2: Do what, Marcus?
1: It was an accident. You need to tell your mother and father, baby. Tell us what happened.
10: I was cleaning up some branches next to the road like Pa asked. I was just working, and one of Nelson's friends came up, and he kept saying mean things to me about all of us. I wasn't doing nothing, just working, trying to clean up branches like Pa asked me to. Keep talking and yelling, being so mean. I got so angry,
2: he wouldn't stop. Marcus, what did you do? Did something happen to that boy? Did you do something to him? I didn't mean to. Tell me why I found that there bicycle with blood next to it in the ditch.
10: I I don't know. I picked up a rock and threw it, and he fell down. I, I didn't mean to hit him. He just made me so mad he wouldn't stop. Sweet mother of mercy.
2: Regina, go get Zola and Keegan. I'm sorry. No time for that now, Marcus. I wasn't the first one to find that mess. That boy's daddy was important to this town, you understand? I know we work hard, but you have to understand what we mean to people like that. The only reason Mr. Grady has us on this land is to run his cotton. But right now, we got a target on our backs. What are you going to do? Right now, I need you to pack your things. Only what you need. George, come
6: out here.
3: Daddy, why are all those people coming here?
6: At this point, there wasn't much that they could do. Dale had formed his mob and they were all marching down the road. The torches in their hands lit the horizon like the sun setting behind them. Oh,
2: God. Everyone inside now. Come on.
1: Dad, what's going on? It's okay, sweetie.
2: Everything will be okay. Marcus, grab my hammer. Here you go, Dad. Grab as much as you can and get under the floor. I'm going to seal it back up once you get under. You hear me?
10: Are we putting our stuff under?
2: I'm going to tell them all that you left. They're going to your aunt's place. They'll think you packed up everything and left. Daddy,
8: where will you go?
2: I have to stay out here, baby. George. Gina, we don't have a choice.
1: Dad! George. What are we going to do?
2: Go get them. If they set it on fire, kick the back out and run. Run as fast as you can. Marcus, get them to the creek and take it south. You understand, son? I love you all. Come out. We're going
6: to burn it down. There was a mob of some 20 white men. Some of them even brought their kids. Carl, Tom, Dale, led the pack. My father stood behind the angry crowd as they threw their torches around the dry wood shack, catching the remaining small patches of grass in the mud on fire. They chanted yelled, Some were there to get a man hanged. Some were there just to cause chaos. Dale was there to leave a message. What? What? God damn it! You George? Yes, sir.
13: You ever met my son, George?
2: I cannot say that I have, no. I see. So you
13: got no idea why my boy's body, my boy's dead body turned up under a pile of branches Up the road away,
2: do you? I'm sorry to hear that, sir. But I don't know what you're talking about.
13: Sorry to hear that. Sorry
2: to hear that. Oh,
13: George, George, George. You see this rifle here, George? Yes, sir. See how the butt of this here rifle is plated in metal?
2: Yes, I do.
13: Any idea why that is? I can't... So that way, when I hit people like you with it, I don't get nigger blood soaked into the wood. (laughs) Oh, get up. Where's your family, George? Huh? Gone. They left three days ago. Is that so? Hear that, boy? George here says his family gone on a little family reunion. Believe that. Just in time to miss our little party here. Now, George, I know you're a nigger, but don't go make yourself a lying nigger now. I don't
2: know what you're talking about. They ain't here. Oh, I think you do. (laughs) No, no!
13: George, no! Now, I know it wasn't all of you that killed my boy, but don't think that doesn't make you guilty.
2: Leave him out of this. I'm the man you want. They ain't done nothing, goddammit.
13: Let go of him. He done nothing wrong. Bring me the boy. No, 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 Marcus! Mama! Come here, boy. Quit your crying and
2: look at me.
13: Look at me! Hmm. I see.
2: You don't touch my boy. He ain't done nothing. Oh,
13: on the contrary, I think we both know how much he has to do with this.
10: I'm sorry.
13: Yeah, well, I'm not. No Look at him Look at your boy Look at him Look at him like I had to look at my boy Buried under a pile of branches Murdered by your nigger son Look at him while his soul Leaves his body Stop it But I love a gun Stop it You remember this moment You remember the moment you let your boy die you remember the moment you had no control remember the moment i owned you
2: no man owns me
6: A lot changed after that night. It wasn't but three weeks later that Dale was drafted into the war. Went in as an officer, from what I remember. Word has it he was captured as a POW. Never heard if he made it out alive. As for the Grady household, well, tensions were so high between my father and his sharecroppers that it got the best of his marriage finally. Shocking, it wasn't the alcohol. Huh. It wasn't but a month later that my mother and I moved in with my aunt in Austin, Texas. Of course, it was a smaller town at the time. My father died of a stroke, of all things. bastard lived until he was 85. Can you believe it? The farm was auctioned off to some rich guy from New Orleans. Turned it into a home of a carnival. Never did get around to attending it. Well, as for the Tompkins, well, they moved on.
2: Regina, you got everything loaded in the bed? Yeah, I think so.
1: Kids, you have everything packed?
2: Kids... You know we can't keep this chicken. We had to leave everything to Mr. Grady so we could get this truck.
1: But he's our pet. Zola, listen to your father. We are going to start a new life. One that is safe for you, too. One where we can make real money, live in a real house, and maybe even get us a dog. A dog? Maybe, but you have to behave. Anyways, we can't have a dog in the house if we have a chicken, too. Plus, you don't want to take him away from his chick friends. Do you? No. All right, then. Go put him with the others and climb in. You ready?
2: God willing.
1: He'll guide us.
2: I know he will. I know.
1: Where is it again?
2: The south side of Chicago. Call it Bronzeville.
1: Ever think you will leave this place?
2: No. Not at this cost, at least. Don't you think we could have done more? Could have gotten out sooner?
1: Yes? Here we are now, George. It wasn't long ago that you were telling me about this idea while we were making dinner.
2: What can we do, Regina? Work? Yeah, I suppose. But what will that do for us other than what we got working here?
1: Chances, George. Chances. You will have new work, a new life, a new goal. As for me, I'm going to join that NAACP group. You know, the one that helps people like us against the law. Ain't no way I'm going to let what happened to Marcus go on any longer. Remember what I said. It's time, George.
2: You two ready?
7: Let's go!
1: Marcus, you okay, sweetie?
6: I'm good, Ma. I'm good. I remember watching them as they drove by our house. George was driving their rusty old truck. The bed had a topper over. They drove past the house, dodging potholes. I watched as they drove away. Inside the bed were a few belongings, but sitting up against the back was Marcus, eyes covered by bandages. Dale's bullet hit his eye and went out his cheek. He'd lived the rest of his life blind, but ended up being a successful community figure with the church in Bronzeville. Did you ever see Marcus again? Once. Only once. When my father died, I went to Chicago to find him. It was Sunday, so he was at his service. And? I stood at the back of the pews, peering down the aisle. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. Marcus stood up at that podium, tall, with a power in his voice that I hadn't heard since I appeared through that church window and saw his daddy speaking in their community church so many years previous. He wore a dark wool jacket with a black shirt, just like his father, except he had dark sunglasses over his eyes. Regina sat in the front pew with a bright red dress and a floral hat. Her hair had become a weathered gray, but she still sat straight. The twins sat to her left and right. The pews behind them were packed full. Men and women stood against the walls to hear him speak.
12: Truth must be spoken in love. Like Jesus, we're called to be people full of grace and truth. Our culture must know us as truth tellers, but we must be truth tellers with tears. For it's not we who are the victims, but they. They're the ones who enslave to sin. They're the ones whose minds are darkened. And they're the ones whose eyes are blinded. When we interact with our enemies, it must not be out of hate or spite, but out of love and compassion.
6: I waited outside once the services ended before I went inside. In the back corner, there was a door that opened up into a small office.
12: Come on in. The door's unlocked.
6: His office was lined with an absurd amount of books, floor to ceiling nothing but the spines of books. His desk was old and made of wood. On top, he had a picture of what must have been his wife and kids. He had a cub's hat hanging on a cross right next to it. Light filled the room through a tall window with vines hanging down the outside, streaking thin shadows across the room. Marcus was putting some papers in a filing cabinet
12: behind his desk. Please, take a seat. Take a seat. Thank you. What brings you by, Nelson? What, how? Mr. Nelson Grady, son of rich Grady? God told me you were gonna come by.
8: Uh.
12: I'm just joking with you. You ask most people who've lost their vision what they remember, what they can envision. Well, I can tell you now, I never forget a face. Doctors were able to give me a new eye. Amazing what medicine can do nowadays, huh? One is gone, but this one can see pretty darn well out of, given the circumstances. But I suppose you already know that. Yeah, yeah, I suppose I do. The Lord has blessed me and the doctors whose hands were able to heal me. But anyway, leave it to a preacher to talk too long. What brings you by, Nelson?
6: Well, that's kind of why I came by. See, my father just
12: died. I'm sorry to hear that, Nelson.
6: I appreciate that, but no more sorry than he should be. My father was not what one would consider to be a good man.
12: A son of God nonetheless, as misled as his mind might have been.
6: I guess I came by because I wanted to know. Know what? I don't know, that some good came out of all this that you got out and survived. I don't know, Marcus. I just needed to see what happened to you. Closure. You know, I've been through two wars, seen things no man should ever have to bear, and somehow, somehow, I came out clean. I went through so much shit, so much filth and pain, tears and blood so much blood. I came home and it's just everywhere. You know, when I was in Korea, we had a major that would request black soldiers because he was more willing to risk their lives than ours. You know what I said when he told me that was my task force was being relocated? Nothing. I left, and not a single one of those boys made it out of that mission alive. And then what? Flag goes up, I go home, a week later, it's all the same.
12: Did you ever hear what my father used to say?
6: What's that?
12: I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Quite I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of the mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Stay strong in your mind, Nelson. It's all we can do. Sin will be near. And when we waver in our minds, that's when our flesh succumbs to that law of sin.
6: How did you get here? After all that happened. After Frankie's dad. How are you like?
12: There's nowhere to look but forward. We will learn, we will educate, and we will remember, but we must not repeat. Now, I don't know about you, but for one, I'm looking forward to a better tomorrow.
6: And so that's what he did, day after day. We talked for a bit. He explained to me everything that happened that night and thereafter. And you damn well believe it. He's still there in Chicago, speaking the Lord's word. Cheers and all me.
4: A Point in Time is part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. Visit podcastwithoutborders.com to learn more. Visit our Patreon page to become a patron of the show and gain access to exclusive content. Also, like us on Facebook for up-to-date information on all our shows. Thank you for listening to A Point in Time. Pianage. Starring Daniel Norton as Rich Grady, Thomas Morelli as Young Nelson, Douglas Gowland as Nelson Grady, Cade Foster as Hank Lanning Wolf as Frankie Jermaine Woods as George Tompkins Killian Hrup Arneson as Marcus Björg Van Alec Arneson as Keegan Josh Lake as Mr. Anderson Candence Battle as Regina Tompkins Seth Moore as Nicholas Redding Chris Papa's Ford as Dale Blake Mims as Carl Jamie McGuire as Tom Bella as Zola Angela Morata as the Nurse Tim Dent as the Customer and Perry Lowe as Adult Marcus. I'm Patrick. Thank you for listening to A Point in Time, Episode 1 Peonage. Written, directed, and produced by Daylin Turk.